0: Hi, and welcome to the Dress That Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by, and enjoy the message. All right. Well, good morning, y'all. How we doing? Awesome. Hey, (laughs) what's up, Nick? Man, I'll tell you what. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's good to have friends. You know what I mean? Like, it's, isn't it good to have friends who just, they know when to hit you at the right point and just mess your whole world up. That's, that's what it looks like here. Um, hey, real quick, uh, I don't want to say that we're on the way coming up here, but you may have noticed some things today in your seats. Last week, we debuted these beautiful new connection cards. Um, really, this is just a point of contention where I think I'm smart enough where you probably should write down something I say. I'm just kidding. Maybe take fashion advice, you know. It's, you know, maybe, maybe just write Bible. I don't, anyway, we got these notes. But we got some information on the other side. If you're new or you've been coming for just a few weeks, uh, we'd love for you to hear more about who we are. Uh, on, on the back side here, I'm sorry, on the front side, we actually would love for you to even write your name. Tell us who you are, tell us we can pray for you, and one of our elders, and usually my beautiful wife will be in the back uh, at our first-time guest table, we had an awesome television with a really cool graphic, and you would have been like, wow, this church is so technologically advanced, and then we plugged it in today, and it was broken, so um, <laughs> it happens, right? But uh, that's that. So go back there, say hello, we'd love to meet you, we have a gift for you, we just want to tell you thanks, and we want to give you the opportunity to hear more about who we are. Um, I just think what's happening here is crazy awesome, and uh, we'd love for you to have an opportunity to be a part of it. Um, Also, on the back, if you've got questions about baptism, how to serve, our growth track, um, our student ministry that's launching soon, which we're so excited about, um, small groups, it says second Saturday, it's actually third Saturday, uh, please let us know, we'd love to contact you. And here's my favorite part. I want to just be honest with you for a minute. There's nothing in my life more awkward than calling people who I don't know if they want to be called you ever been there? Like cold calling. I'm not a salesman for a reason. Both my brothers are. They do great. But um, I have so many people I've called who have left numbers and I've known that they heard me and heard my message and thought, well, that was incredibly awkward because we live in 2019. So we have an option if you even check if you want to be texted. I love texting. It works well for me um, because although I seem very extroverted, I can be very introverted and weird sometimes too. So um, lastly, this is probably a bigger deal for me than you, but we have our brand new trailside pens. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, this is the, the, the moment that I knew we were a real church right here. Um, so they're pretty. And uh, yeah, take one with you. They're great. Um, <clears throat> one more quick thing. So I want to I tell you what happened this morning that I walked into that I think is worth noting. We had a guy who is going to run slides on our computer and a bassist both wake up sick this morning, vomiting, couldn't come out. And one of our interns stepped in and had never played bass before today, grabbed the bass and led through worship and nobody knew a difference. And I, Like, it's nuts. It's nuts. So we had our... our ma- Mostly college student worship band, but one of our guardrails. One thing we believe in this church is that we take heart over over experience. And I'll take people who love Jesus and want to worship any day of the week. Um, The apostles or the the disciples were like 14, 15, 16 when they were called. So um, I'm on the mentality of a 14 year old, so it works well for me. But um, but yeah, man, we just got some talent here and people who love Jesus. So. Um, so, hey, I'm going to be very honest because I feel like I try to always be. Uh, so I wrote four sermons this week. Well, I have, partway. I, it's not a holy thing. I don't want you to be impressed. Be very unimpressed with me. Um, this has been one of the most challenging series I think I've ever taught uh, while I've been a, a pastor. Um, if you haven't been here, if this is your first time. Welcome. But I'd encourage you to go back and listen. We've talked about heavy topics the last few weeks. Um, we've talked about sexuality and homosexuality, and we've talked about racism, and we've talked about brokenness of people, and we've talked about deconstructing our faith and, like, why Christianity now is different from, I think, what Jesus meant it to be and how we act, and the things we say, and what we do. Now, we're a Bible-believing church. We follow Jesus. Let's not misconstrue that. But it's been very challenging, and this week was hard because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to talk about because I knew we were wrapping this up, and I, I've, it's just been a nut, kind of a nutty week. You ever have one of those where you feel up and down all the time? And um, my wife had a little procedure done, and so, uh, you know, some days you're working on like three hours of surgery. Uh, they attached her left arm back. It's great. She works great. So, um, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, it's just been kind of a wild week, and um, as I sat last night praying and begging God to please help me put this together, I, I, I really felt strongly that the way to end this series as we move into our next series, which is going to be one that you're going to remember forever, and I don't, I'm not overhyping that, you just will, um, I, I figured what, what we've been talking about in this taboo series isn't isn't like how to fight big topics, right? Like we didn't pull up a internet article that said five things the church needs to talk more about. We didn't do that. We just got together and thought, what is it that we need to be in order to be everything we can and should be for this city? Like what does that need to look like? There's churches everywhere. There's a great blog that someone who comes to our church wrote this week that you should go check out. It's on my web page. Um, and and one thing that she said in the front of it was, there's churches everywhere, all over, especially in Greenville in the south. But what we're doing here has to be different. And so when we talk about taboo, the effort is that we would come out of this church, out of this building, out of this place and be the church out there, and that we would be unrelenting, that we would be unoffended, and that we would consistently be uncomfortable, uncomfortable, excuse me, with this, the spiritual state of our city and, and state, and our nation. That, that it would drive us to do something different, to be different. And so I started thinking, like, what, what makes me uncomfortable? Right? I, I think not a lot. I don't get super uncomfortable. In fact, one of my most favorite things is to go when you're at Target or something and you see someone who's obviously on their break for work, right? Or they just, they're on the way home and they have their name tag on. You guys know where this is going? Lane, Lane can tell you, I'll walk up and be like, oh, my gosh, Sarah, what's up? Hey, it's great to see you. And they'll look at me and they're like, look down, like, how do you know who I am? You know, you see like the gears going. How do I know this guy? Do we meet? And so I'll talk to you like, hey, you know, it's great to see you. How's everything going? Like family's good. And they're like, uh huh, <laughs> yeah. And right when they get to the breaking point, I'll be like, hey, I'm just kidding. I saw your name tag. Like, oh, <laughs> typically people are like, that's hilarious. Thanks. You know, have a great day. One time it didn't go that way. One time it did not go that well. Yeah. I was at uh, Target downtown, or not downtown, um, Woodruff Road, pretty much the same now. There was a guy dressed in red with khakis on and a name tag. I came up to him. It was like Steve or something. I was like, oh, man, great to see you. And the guy looked at me, and he goes, bro, I don't know you, and if you don't back away, I'm going to punch you. I was like, well, if you punch me, I'm going to cry. Um, and so I tried, to, you know, I tried to be smooth with it, be like, you know, like, I just saw the, you know, saw the outfit. He's like, yeah, I get it, red shirt. I'm like, all right, this dude is not excited to meet me today. Because um, sometimes people have bad days. Sometimes they get uncomfortable. So I started thinking, like, what makes me uncomfortable? And I realized um, it's one thing in particular. It's teeth teeth. Now, I'm not saying like if you have like a jacked up teeth, like, that's like I'm not, that's not what I mean. One of my favorite movies is Emperor's New Groove, because again, I'm 12, <laughs> and there's a part in the movie when the, the daughter, or the son, I think, goes up to the dad. He gets home from a trip, and they're like, oh, how'd it go? And like, great, and he goes, oh, she has loose teeth, and he goes, and whistles, and the tooth's like, and the, y'all, I'm not lying. The first time I saw that, I almost threw up, I, I could not handle it, right? And so now I have kids. I got a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, which I love. But my son is like that kid in the video, right? He, you start losing teeth, and he's kind of getting everything in. Well, he's got this one tooth that was like it was—it's gone now. It's been taken out it's here, I think. And he's just like, we saw him eating on the side, you know, and wouldn't mess with it. And I said, buddy, what's wrong? And he was like, oh, this tooth hurts. And he goes, R-r-r-r-r-r-r. I was like, bro, you need to go talk to your mom because daddy's about to fall asleep involuntarily on the floor. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. But what I'm learning about parenthood and growing up is that you just have to get to a point where you deal with that stuff, right? Like, as you get older, you're realizing that you go through phases in life and you don't have the opportunity to not just hit stuff head on anymore, right? Right? It's like ripping the band-aid off. Let me tell you, if you are a parent, this will resonate with you. If you are about to be a parent, this will scare you. And if you are hoping to be a parent one day down the road, this will be hilarious until you think back to this moment when you're holding your baby. But the honeymoon phase of being a parent lasts about eight hours. Because that's when you realize that these wonderful people at the hospital have decided, knowing you in your most stressful state you've ever been, they have now deemed you able to take care of a small human child. And then it poops everywhere. And then it screams. And then it's the middle of the night. And then you wonder how something so beautiful that you prayed for for years could come and terrorize you. <laughs> but it's beautiful. It's still great. And as those children grow up, you have to deal with stuff you never thought you would. And what happens is you beg your children as they grow up, when they're learning how to talk and they're trying to communicate, you beg God and you beg them that they would just speak. Tell me what you need. I can fix this if you just let me know what to do. Then they start talking and they start reasoning. Yes, and if you've met my son, he doesn't stop, which is great. But there's nothing that hurts me more than when it's 2 in the morning and your son comes up to you and he says, Daddy, I throw it up. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Daddy, I throw it up. Um, and so then you think if anyone was filming this video, you'd be on viral Internet tomorrow as you gag and fight through that. And the Lord did not give me the iron stomach that I wish I had. But you know what I realized is when you get to a point where you have to push through, you just kind of do. You just kind of do. And so as you're cleaning up gross things that are natural, unfortunately, which only happens after, like, any friends or kids or people you're helping clean up after, after they've eaten the grossest, you know, like, rainbow of things possible, (laughs) right? Like, I don't remember eating hamburger and beans, but there it is. And Skittles. Um, I know, I'm sorry. We're going forward. (laughs) I wrote four sermons, okay? Um, I'm getting there, I promise. That it's those prayers in the middle of the night when you're broken and when you have nothing else to do but push through that become the most honest prayers we have. And, And I remember thinking that and how in the middle of the night I was... I was praying that, that we would just get through. That there's, there's no more honest prayer than when it's 3 a.m. and you're alone and the world is shut down and you need help. There's, there's not a prayer that is so real and vulnerable and straightforward and honest when you have nowhere else to turn. And I've learned that as I get older and as I see the world begin to break down, the world that I thought was safe and secure, that as reality sets in, that everything isn't always okay, that as marriages of friends and people that I grew up with are falling apart, that as disease is striking, the moments where we watch selfishness ruin relationships, where death comes, and tragedy strikes and leaves us in the dust it is those moments of prayer that are the most honest because mortality and struggle is real but what happens in those moments is we quickly find that our self-sufficiency isn't sufficient we quickly find that our strength and the thing that we've told us told ourselves our entire lives that we can just push through isn't good enough anymore and we come to a point where we break And we have to seek something else. I think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So the question that we're going to fight through this taboo this morning is what do we do when those prayers aren't answered? Why is it taboo to say something like that? Because I think we've done a really horrible job as a church in the last few decades of telling you if you just love God enough, you won't hurt. Or if you just read your Bible enough, if you just pray, if you're just nice to people, if you're just charitable enough, if you just give enough to the church that God will just fix things, that you won't struggle, that it won't be hard. I remember being a young teenager fighting through just bullying and some nonsense and issues with my family, my older brother in particular, who's lovely and we're great now. And I remember seeing like marriages fall apart around me, my mom's friends and dad's friends and a a friend who didn't have a dad suddenly anymore. And I remember thinking like, man, I'm glad I'm a 13-year-old. But what I realized is that it's, it's not that life gets easier as you get older, it's that it's still really hard. And sometimes our prayers go unanswered. So what do you do when that happens? And we're going to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 12, by the way. Because I wrote four sermons, we don't have notes on the screen, so sorry. Um, If you love Jesus, you'll have a Bible app. No, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. Um, But I will read it to us but what do we do when, when prayers aren't answered? Because see, i realize realized what I do is I, I spend too much time trying to reason with God and fight him and convince him why he's wrong and I'm right rather than asking him to deal with my own humanity and help me. And people say, well, that must mean God is unloving. I don't, I don't think it means that. God himself says God is love. <clears throat> he is the fullness of love. Well, then maybe that means God isn't powerful. He actually isn't capable. But to that, I would say, He's created and ruled everything. One of my most favorite office quotes, because I'm going to bring a little levity here, this is when Michael Scott dresses up like Jesus. He calls his boss and he says, David, guess who I'm dressed as? He says, I don't know. He says, Well, I'll give you a hint. He has a power of flight, and he can heal leopards. <laughs> but he is powerful. He heals. He takes care of things. He makes the world turn. Well, then does it mean that God is all-powerful and, and loving, but do, just doesn't care? Is he apathetic? And the answer I'd say is No. Scripture clearly says that he knows the number of hairs on our head, that he knit us together in our mother's womb, that he has gone before us and is preparing a place for us. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate that day. And y'all, I've got news for you. If you think I'm off the rails right now, I get pumped on Easter. I lose my mind because we party. But yet we still are called to pray. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now listen, here's the taboo part of what you may have always heard in church. That verse does not say, make your request known to God and he will fix them. Make your request known to God and He will just take things away and the struggle won't be there anymore. Make your request known to God and you won't have hardship. It doesn't say that at all. It says, in fact, the opposite. Make your request known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, it's not that prayer isn't powerful. It's that we're not promised that God is a magician who just fixes hardship. In Mark 1, we see Jesus breaking down and waking up early and going out and praying. After his friend, John the Baptist, is beheaded in a power move. He gets in a boat and goes off solitary and prays. Which I'm kind of surprised some of my rednecks weren't like, amen. Feel the Lord on the lake, which I'm telling you, something about it, be honest with you. 1 Thessalonians 5 says to pray without ceasing, continuously. So, what about when we do all those things, but nothing changes, and hardship still happens, and hurt is still real, and things don't get better, and disease still strikes, and tragedy still hits? You can't have a theology that is based. And God being a magician for you because when the magic stops, when tragedy strikes, when things are hard, he ceases to be a magician and he has to be God. And if our thought of who he is is a magician instead of creator and sustainer and lover, then what we do is we lose very quickly who we thought God was. But he is unchanging. We are not. So what's the purpose of prayer when things fall? So there's a lot of people who are in this city who are hanging out right now and going down the trail because they got mad at church because someone told them that God loved them and made everything great. And then when everything fell apart, they had nowhere to go because they did the right thing, because they prayed and gave and served. And tragedy still struck. Hardship. So we find ourselves at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, is what Paul says. It says, so to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That is why, for the sake of Christ, I delight in weakness in insult in hardship in persecutions and difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, when we do not get what we ask for in prayer, it is not that they are unanswered. They just aren't answered as we think God should answer them. Because if God answered every prayer as we thought he should, this world would be a bigger mess than it was. That's why God's will and providence is perfect and ours isn't. One of the deepest theological movies I've ever seen, Bruce Almighty. Jim Carrey gets a moment to be God, and as the prayer emails come in, he gets overwhelmed. And I think, I'm glad I'm not him. Because what do we do when God says no? Listen, I prayed for big things right here, right here. I've prayed for good things. I've prayed for good things for the kingdom of God. I've also prayed for a Lamborghini, but. But what do we do when God says no? People start statements like, well, my God would never, da da da, da, da da da. Right? Oprah did this once, and I can't forgive her. I need to. Maybe I'll move forward in that stretch of holiness soon, but she was interviewing a pastor who I also am not a huge fan of. And He talked about sin and about separation, about hell and heaven. And his statement was something to the effect of, well, you know, like, we just don't talk about sin. I'd rather talk about positive things, make people feel good. So they're encouraged when they walk out of church. And Oprah said, I'll never, guys, I'll never, this is like years ago. She said, well, I know one thing. My God would never condemn anyone to hell. I'm like, Oprah, read the Bible. It doesn't have to be people you know. Just go read Old Testament. Holler at somebody. Let's talk about Esau for a minute. Or Judas. Like, sorry, Judas really messed up. What I realized in that moment is, if we're saying my God would never blank, then what we're doing is we're failing to realize that God doesn't belong to us. We belong to him. God doesn't belong to us. We belong to him. There is no greater place to be, church. None. So Paul says, to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I get Paul in this. I did middle school ministry for a year and a half. But, oh, that wasn't, a, no, I'm just kidding. That wasn't a joke. No. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. Paul says, a thorn in my flesh, a.k.a. a messenger of Satan, to torment me. See, Paul understood in this, and something we can take from this, is that suffering is normal. He actually normalizes it. One thing the church has done a bad job of is talking about suffering and mental health and issues and allowing people to be people and walk through things and become better and find sufficiency in Christ. We've been terrible about that because we've been scared of it. No more. See, suffering is normal. In fact, Jesus, I say this all the time because I think it's true for us to remember. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, In this world you will have suffering. You will have trial. You will have tribulation. It's actually scary. If you go and study the original language there, it's way worse than like, You'll have a tough day. You might get an offender bender. It's like you will experience torment. Whew. But then Jesus says, but take heart for I've overcome the world. See, this world is supposed to be hard because if this world isn't hard, then our hope is here and it's being fulfilled. We should toil every day. We should struggle every day because every day on earth should remind us that this is not our home, that our future is in heaven, and it's going to be much better than anything we have here. Much better. Much better. So what is the purpose then of suffering? Well, Paul gets it, right? And and the thing about Paul in this, let's remember who he was, right? Paul was, um, if you didn't do your Paul character study before you came, I can help you, okay? Here's where we'll go. Paul was uh, a Jew. He was um, a Pharisee, which meant that he had all the law memorized and the whole Old Testament. He was a spiritual authority. He was a judge. He was who people went to whenever they needed anything. He was rich. He had all he needed. Then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, has his life changed. And he goes and he plants churches. and becomes the spiritual father of the church, he and Peter. And he plants churches, and entire cities are waiting for him to come. He's famous. He's a big deal. And here's the most important person, human being, in the church at this point in time, who's meeting with kings and walking into Roman buildings and city buildings and meeting with governments, preaching Jesus. He has this huge platform, and he, Paul, is willing to say, I have a thorn in my side. I am tormented and hurt. Well, then we have to be honest that suffering is a normal thing, and that it's not something to be ashamed of. Your struggle should not define your shame at this church, ever. Because that's not how the Lord defines you or me. Our struggle brings us commonality, unity, community, and hope. So, what is the purpose of our suffering? Well, it's very clear we will be aggressed, right? Paul makes the list for us. I delight in weaknesses. In insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. Anybody had any of those recently? Anybody struggled this week? Anybody been insulted this week? I have. But there's hope. See, because that's not meant to hurt us. (laughs) That's meant to make us more like Jesus. Jesus. See, Hebrews 4, 14 is a beautiful piece of scripture about the Lord. And I want to read this to you because I don't want to paraphrase this. I just think it's that good. This is what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. And this is the key of this beautiful statement. So then let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Church, suffering is a normal part of this world, and the way that God redeems that is that it brings us closer to him. That we find commonality with Jesus, someone to follow because he's been tempted just as you are. Everything you've been through, everything you will go through, every hurt, every pain, every temptation, Jesus has been there, and he has defeated it, so he's worth following. That's why Paul can say, I'm thankful for my weaknesses, for the insults, for the hardship and the suffering. Because where I am weak, he is strong. Because he is hope. He is a rock, he is sturdy, and he is unrelenting in his love for you. So, you also learn here Paul says, You don't have to be scared of your weaknesses. You have them. All right, can we just, uh, let's take a poll. You don't have to raise it, but just raise the little hand in your heart, okay? Who has weaknesses? Well, it's like eight people who don't follow directions, guys. Jeez, it's all right. Now you're all on video, so you better get it together. Um, No. Don't be scared of your weaknesses. Paul isn't. Because following Jesus is not the natural outcome of having it all together. My kids don't run up to me and like, Hey, Dad, want to let you know. Everything's good. Just hanging out. All right. All that tells me is something bad has happened, right? Yeah? Like my dog is probably wearing my daughter's clothes and missing. There's fire somewhere, right? Listen, Our brokenness and our hurt is not meant to drive us away from God. It's meant to drive us to a place where we seek him actively. When my children fall and they're hurt, they run to daddy because I am safety and security and hope. And they know that I will take care of them and that I will stop what I'm doing to make sure they are loved. But that does not mean they will not get discipline, that they will not get everything they want. Listen, if they did, there would be no Lego store at the mall. It would be guide store Because we would have had it all. But a loving father does not give us everything we want. He just says, listen, he just says, in your time of need, you will be given grace and mercy. Pray without ceasing and know that the mind of Christ is upon you as you continue. Following Jesus is not the natural outcome of having it all together. The moment you walk in this church and you have it all together, my heart and my prayer is that the Lord convicts you immediately of that. And if I do the same, that he would convict me as well. Because it's not the natural outcome. Because if it was we would never have Paul saying but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you my power is perfected in your weakness but here's what we've done in the church oops here's what we've done in the church we've allowed this to infiltrate us oh, like what a yellow ladder yes We've allowed this to be a measure of holiness in our lives. And I'm not one, I'm not a big guy for uh, object lessons, but I just wanted to do this. It's one of my favorite things to talk about because I think it's really, really important. As we go out and as we attempt to be really good Christians, and culture would we'll look at us and be like, wow, they love Jesus. They give tremendously, which is, I think, God's favorite thing about the church. So um, thanks, mom. She got that. Uh, but, but, but here's what we do. We, we attempt to make ourselves feel holier and better by standing on the heads of those who are struggling and hurting. And so we go, well, I go to church. It's pretty good. Oh, oh, my kids, my kids love Jesus. Oh, I tithe, yep. Man, I'm really Holy. And here's what we do. Like, this is a statement of our heart where we get up and we say, like, look at all of you who aren't as good. Look at all of you who are struggling. I don't do that. I got it all together. Look, all the good things happen in my life. I take my family on vacations that are awesome. We swam with dolphins last week. I got nice cars, nice house. Happy. If you see my Instagram, you'd know that I eat only organic products. And we use it as a stepping stool of heart to say, look at all of you down here. But what I'm learning as I'm growing older and maturing, that the higher up on the spiritual ladder you get, the harder it is to stay there and the easier it is to fall off. And Jesus himself does not find himself here. Jesus himself says, I came for the sick. And he's found at tables with sinners. See, that's the issue with the church. There is no measuring tool of holiness. There is no spiritual rat race. There's no promotion. We all get the same one, it is from death to life. We have commonality in our struggle and community in our healing. This is why Paul says he loves and takes joy in his weakness. In Romans 3, Paul writes this Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance, character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. See, Paul says he rejoices in his hurt because the thing that would cause hurt is suffering. The thing that would cause pain, his suffering, is the very thing that the process leads to hope in. And that disappointment that we feel on the front end is removed by the gospel and the gift of Jesus. And so Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That is why for the sake of Christ, I delight in my weaknesses in insults and in hardship and persecution and difficulty. For when I am weak, I am strong. So you find out, church, that you're actually stronger in your pain than you realize. That when you have a creator and salvation and hope that goes beyond your own strength because you will fail that it changes things. The circumstances aren't the same. See, we find that the same boiling water that softens potatoes to mush takes eggs and makes them hard and unbreakable. The circumstance is common. The boiling water is the same, but the uncommon aspect is that Jesus changes things. And so Paul says, I have this torment in my life. Check. I've pleaded with God three times to forgive, to remove it, rather. Check. Everybody's been there. God said no. What? (laughs) Notice Jesus' answer. I've begged, I've pleaded with God, please take this away from me. Please. It's tormenting me. Jesus actually tells Peter at the Last Supper that Satan has asked to sift him like wheat. And Paul says, I pleaded three times for God to please take this away. And God says no. In fact, God's statement is, my grace is sufficient. (laughs) My grace is sufficient. (laughs) That's Jesus' answer. My power is perfected in your weakness. That's because, church, your circumstance of brokenness is not yours to fix. And here's another thought other people's circumstance of brokenness, also not yours to fix. Your call is to love people, well, love Jesus, love people. And if we do that well, the natural thing is that the Lord redeems people. And we've seen 13 baptisms in this church. And we're starting. Because God redeems people. We do not. I'm just an idiot who can get up and talk for a little while. God redeems people. He's an intern. It's okay. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says to us, look, Paul begs for this this forgiveness, this removal, and Jesus says, my grace is sufficient. Your prayer is not sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And he reminds him that nothing that happens in this life is outside of God's hand. Circumstances not outside of God's hand. Your life is not slipping through the cracks in his fingers, although it may feel like it's slipping through yours. You are not the one who catches yourself and holds you up. The very, I've said this before too, the very statement of pick yourself up by your bootstraps is to illustrate that you are incapable of doing that. That it takes community. It is impossible for you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Science. Because you need help. I don't want you to come to church and go to small group and give. I don't want you to to give. I don't want you to do that because I want like, wow, look at this church. It's because I want you to find commonality with people and to not pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Because your circumstance isn't yours to fix. Nothing in your life is happening that is outside of God's hand. And when you do that, church, when we get that, when we understand that, we will see that our Savior is more powerful than our enemy. And so our heart's reminder is this, that prayer isn't convincing God to do your will. God doesn't not answer prayers. It's your heart's reminder that his is perfect and that we are just along for the ride because the end of the ride is eternity and heaven and hope. Our struggle is common and uniting. The Christian life is hard. It's not easy. It's never meant to be easy. And living in abundant grace is incredibly hard. Incredibly hard. I think it's the hardest thing about the Christian faith. the problem with pain and prayer is that we are called to Christ. We're not called to average. And if you're called to average, I got news for you. You're either going to be called out of it or you're going to be called somewhere else. But we're not called to average. Because the one person who in your struggle would hold you guilty doesn't. Because His grace is sufficient. So as we close our series today, here's what I want you to walk away with. If you've been praying and begging God and you feel like he hasn't given you an answer, I want to tell you he has. Because God answers prayers either yes, either no, or not yet. Because God is steadfast. He's outside of time. He's all-knowing. God does not toil back and forth between, well, (sighs) should I or shouldn't I? No, God is steadfast. He just sometimes says, not yet. And we are a church as dead set on being okay with the not yet and the yes, and the no. We are a church that is dead set on being uncommon. That means we're willing to do uncommon things and love in uncommon ways because God's grace is uncommon. Now don't get theological on me. I know what common grace is. It's not what I'm saying. But we are going to be people who are uncommon in the way we love, and that is the call of this church, and that might mean it's not for everybody. the gospel is. And we are going to be willing to do uncommon things. So church, I'm not going to stop asking you to be uncommonly sacrificial. I'm not. If you think church is about money, that's your own heart deal. Fix it. Ask God to. But I'm not going to stop asking you to be uncommon in your sacrifice of your time and your efforts and your money. Because I... Well no I, We're going to be people who are uncommonly unshakable. Listen, as believers in Christ, we should be setting the example of being unoffended. We just should. Now, if you make fun of my wife, we're going to fight, but but we should be on the forefront of being unoffended by people by words because our value doesn't lie in what people say about us our value lies in a Savior who died for us and we must be a church that is uncommon in all we do see taboo topics that we've covered for the last five weeks are only taboo because people have been afraid to talk about them but we at Trailside Church are dead set on being an uncommon church And we are unafraid of the taboo. We are and forever will be a taboo church. God answers prayers, absolutely. Sometimes it's a yes. Sometimes it's a no. Sometimes it's a not yet. Sometimes it's a my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes it is that I will sustain you and guide you through and give you grace and mercy in your time of need. I will hold you up. But church, those are still answers. And next week, I want to ask a very special favor from you. I want to ask you to sacrifice whatever it is you have going on to be here. Give me one week. Um, we've got a big, big not yet to share with you. Big not yet. And I want you to be here for that. Because what God is doing in this city is about to blow your mind. Be here next week. Bring everybody you have with you. And be open and willing to dive in. See, the thorns that God gives us, church, They don't last forever, but his grace does. I'll see you next week. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you love us, that you give us grace, and that is sufficient for us, that it is all we need. Lord, I pray as we wrap our service up this morning, this experience of worship, this thing you've given us. As we sing this last song, Lord, that our hearts would be ready and excited and looking forward to what it is you're doing here, that you would call sacrifice out of us and that we would understand that your grace is sufficient in all things. Make us people of grace, hope, love, and mercy. And Jesus, it is in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. We can't wait to see you again soon.